Hey everyone, we are very excited to welcome you to our first episode of Elevate You Pod. My name is Mary. My name is Diego. Hi, Diego. Hello, Mary. So we are performance consultants who have been educated and trained to work with athletes and soldiers. We actually uh, help them improve their performance by using mental skills. We use a variety of tools that help build confidence, lower stress, anxiety, all kinds of fun things, helping you understand your motivation and just so much more that ultimately elevates you. So to get started, we decided it would be fun to introduce each other. So I'm going to introduce you to my friend and co-host Diego Vermontes. He's, he's nodding. Actually, he's waving. I know you can't see that, but he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> we met a little over a year and a half ago. And we were both working in Louisiana, working with soldiers as performance experts. Diego is originally from Chicago, and he later moved to Tennessee, where he got his master's degree with a concentration in sports psychology and motor behavior. I'm going to need to know more about motor behavior, but that's for another time. Okay. Uh, he also worked with athletes to include an ultra distance runner. So I want to hear more about that too, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the podcast as well as some young athletes, and most recently, some amazing soldiers down in Louisiana. So I got to tell you, with Diego, he is one of the smartest guys that I know. I know he hates it when I say that, and he kind of blushes a little bit, but he really is. And next to my husband, he is so much fun to talk to because there's not a topic that you can't talk about with him that he really makes you think. And I love that. Either side, not just his side or my side. It's different perspectives. And I absolutely love that about him, which is why he was my number one choice to co-host the podcast with me. And the other thing with Diego, yeah, get him laughing. If we can get him laughing, it's a good day. He's got a great laugh. So there's my friend, Diego. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh man. How am I going to top that? I don't know. You can try. (laughs) So I'll I'll try right now. Okay. Let's hear it. Mary's originally from the South, but has lived in Arizona for 26 years. She raised her family there and is happily married. She has her master's degree in sports psychology, but decided that just wasn't enough. Mm -mm. So she started her PhD in performance psychology. And eight years later, she's finally at the final stages of collecting data. Mm -hmm. So we got about four more months until we get to call her Dr. Mary. Yay! So in addition to her PhD, Mary has also been working with athletes since 2012, as well as employees and leaders in the corporate world. And as Mary mentioned, we both met in Louisiana, where she spent just over a year, I think, yeah, with soldiers training resiliency. And she also developed a performance program for helicopter pilots. And we were fortunate enough to acquire 15 flight hours in the Black Hawk and Lakota aircraft it was you know both terrifying and exhilarating for me at least it was for me too and i'm terrified of flying i found out i am too that day are you (laughs) well with the doors open yeah yeah that was amazing to say the least for sure but uh she's now back in arizona with her family and decided to continue using her education and skills to reach as many as she can Absolutely. And that's really why we're here. So now that you know a little bit about us, you probably should want to know why we're here and talking to you. So between the two of us, we have about 15 years of experience in performance psychology. 
uh, we like to focus on concepts that are built around positive psychology, not just performance psychology. That's also backed by science. So after working with specialized populations, we just really decided that there are so many other populations out there other than just soldiers and athletes. Not that they don't deserve that type of training. It's that everyone can really benefit from these skills and concepts really. So throughout our podcast, we're going to discuss how some of these skills can be used in various populations. We're going to talk about real life situations and real concerns that are out there, especially today. Populations like first responders and teachers, people who are not able to attend their physical rehab programs, even corporate leaders and so many more who are just trying to keep it together even before the pandemic. So can you imagine what their levels of uncertainty and stress are like today? So those are some of the things that we're going to talk about. And those ideas and concepts are things that are just kind of keeping us from being our best. So that's really why we're here. So Diego, why don't we talk a little bit about what positive psychology is? Good idea. Thank y'all. So Positive psychology, you can think about it as a scientific approach to study human thoughts, feelings, behaviors with an emphasis and focus on strengths over weaknesses. Traditional psychology has that laying back in a couch, talking about all the issues and challenges you face within your life to try to get you back to a baseline, so to speak. Meanwhile, positive psychology deals more so with taking quote unquote average life and trying to elevate it to be something great. And I think it would also be worth it to describe some of the exercises or interventions associated with positive psychology. So I think some people may or may not be exposed to them. And if they, if they have been, then they might not have known things like gratitude journals and writing a letter, a thank you letter to someone that they truly care about. All those two type of things have come from positive psychology research. It's not limited to just those two things, but it's also performing acts of kindness, evaluating your own thoughts and emotions when it comes to a whole range of situations. So that way you're increasingly getting better at different situations, but also trying to increase positive emotions within your life. So why do you think that's an important skill to have? So personally, I think it can be easy to fall into complacency or not trying to improve one, if not all aspects of your own life. And I think people don't give positive feelings or emotions their due credit. I guess you could say, right. I think it's easy for people to say, you know, just think positively. Yeah. But what does that mean? Exactly. How do you do that? Exactly. And because of empty phrases like that, it seems to me that optimism and positive emotions tend to have a bad rap within, you know, regular everyday people going about their lives. Right. So hopefully with this podcast and everything that we do, within the Elevate You world and AZ Sports Psych world, we're able to shed some light and be a bit more specific when it comes to what some of these concepts and ideas in positive psychology can be. Yeah. And just having an open mind about the things that we're going to talk about and trying to apply them. I know some people can be 
you know, like you're saying, complacent, they can be just in their roles and they don't know how to get out of that. And, and, you know, we're going to have guest speakers. We're going to have, you know, people come in and talk to us and share their experiences. So yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm thinking through this podcast and other ways we can, we can kind of shed some light, like you said. Yeah. And ultimately if we can be useful for one person, that's enough for me personally. That's enough for me. <laughs> I think with that specificity, maybe talking a bit about why positive emotions can be useful other than just strictly feeling good about yourself. Sure. So research around positive psychology and trying to increase positive emotions within people tend to use their words are systematic exercises. What that really means is being consistent with a gratitude journal or consistent with performing different acts of kindness that not only help other people, but help yourself in a way that can be tracked and monitored. And that's a continual process. That's not just a one-off. And a lot of research tends to focus around documenting these different exercises so that the researchers can understand or at least get a better clear view as to how they can help people in the short term and long term. So a lot of the outcomes or benefits that come with increased positive emotions include increased motivation to achieve goals that people set for themselves, increased what they call coping strategies. So basically the default things that you do whenever you come across something that is more challenging than usual. You can think about it like adversity or trying to hurdle some obstacle that unexpectedly or expectedly comes into your life. And how are you reacting to those types of situations? If you're experiencing an increase in positive emotions, research says you should be able to handle these tougher situations at least more effectively, if not easily, more easily. There has been a lot of research conducted with an increase of positive emotions as well as overall life satisfaction. That includes relationships, the way people view their work, interact with people at work, view their hobbies, view how they fit in the world, meaning how they see themselves as a part of something bigger. For example, the human race, to some extent, positive psychology has become a lot more popular. And for good reason, I think. A lot of these skills and exercises associated with positive psychology can really have great benefits for people in basically all areas of their life. Exactly. Whether it's work, whether it's home life, relationships, hobbies, their outlook in general about their own lives, about the world, all that stuff is going to be affected one way or the other. But positive psychology offers you an avenue to affect it in a way that you want, that you choose without letting any of that stuff be affected by random chance. Agreed. Yeah. So I am actually a living testimonial to positive psychology, you know, and I don't know about you, but I plan to share a lot about me in the mm -hmm. podcast because I've lived all of this. You know, I, I'm much older, my kids are grown and I've experienced a lot and things weren't as easy for me. So about 10 years ago is when I discovered positive psychology and I did reading on my own. And so I was doing all of these discoveries on my own and it was just 
I would just carve out a little bit at a time and I could feel the negativity going away. I can feel the, the anxiety leaving me. I can feel the, the dread of, oh my gosh, this again, you know, it was always there. And, and little by little, I started getting rid of that. And I just don't carry that with me anymore. It's just so much different than what it used to be. So, you know, I will share throughout podcasts, my personal stuff, but I, I really am. I, I truly believe in this and, and I'm excited that we get to share our experiences and, and you know, the, the research and the science behind all of it, because it really does work if you let it. Agreed. I think it can be easy to rely and fall back on, you know, saying this stuff is backed by science, but I would wager or many reasons why people get into the sports psychology and performance psychology is because it, concepts and ideas have helped them in some way. And, you know, when something happens to you firsthand, it's much easier to to see the full effects that could be possible with these types right. of things. So yeah, whenever appropriate, and I have something that's valuable to share, <laughs> I will. Well, thank you. <laughs> and you know, I'm certified in sports psychology, and I I was never an athlete, never. I I swam in the in the eighth grade, but you know, I <laughs> I got that participation trophy. Other than that, I was not an athlete at all. But these concepts really intrigued me so much that I knew I could do so much more with it, which is why I started the PhD program. And it was between the PhD program in performance, or I was going to go to nursing school. And I just, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then the more I started reading, the more I started doing, um, it was the PhD program because I truly feel that these concepts help. That makes sense from, from the point of view that you spoke about. Similarly, I chose sports psychology, at least to pursue it uh, for a master's degree as a result of coming from an undergrad in psychology and okay. everything there is framed like these are skills to help people increase their being alive and living well, at least to the best of their ability. And these skills not only help athletes, like we mentioned before, but they're really great for anyone to use in any and all aspects of their lives. I have continually found that to be true every day since I first learned about all these types of concepts within my undergrad and graduate education. So we're really just hoping that you pick up something, pick up a skill, pick up. Please. Yeah. <laughs> learn something, let us know, you know, let us know how it's working. If it's not working, let us know too. Maybe we can help you tweak it a little bit, but that's what our goal is. So thanks for that really, really great explanation of positive psychology. I think that whoever's listening is, is, has a better idea about what that was. I know sometimes scholarly people tend to, you know, talk bigger than we should. And, and, and I get confused sometimes too. So I appreciate the, the description. You're welcome. I am so guilty of over-explaining and using vague words when I can just be so much more simpler and clear. That's okay, because I'll ask. I'm like, what? I don't know what that means. Please call me out on it, please. <laughs> I will ask. I will ask. So we decided then for our first season, we chose a population that we feel goes really great with February. And that is women in cardiac rehab. So to celebrate, you know, heart health, we wanted to talk about women in cardiac rehab, and I'm going to tell you why. 
So in a performance program, you'd expect to do research sport-related using the sports psychology skills that you're taught. I did not want to do that. I wanted to do something with more substance. So as my research started, I decided more needed to be done in the medical field. There are a few things around goal setting and imagery, but nothing really intrigued me. As I dug deeper into the research, I noticed that women were absent in the studies, especially in regards to heart disease. Then I became intrigued. So this led me to a topic that created passion for me and I was hooked. The, my topic turned into why women are not adhering to a cardiac rehab program, despite the known benefits to it. So Diego. Yes. Did you know that heart disease is the number one killer of both men and women? I was aware for men, but not for women. It kills more people than all of the cancers combined. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Did you also know that 42% of women will die within one year of their cardiac event? 42%. That is so high. That's a crazy number. I'm going to get ready to blow your mind. Are you ready for this one? Did you know that 80% of these deaths are preventable? Oh my God. (laughs) According to the CDC, 80% of deaths caused by heart disease are preventable. That's a lot of people, 80%. Yeah, no kidding. Considering that 600,000 people die from heart disease every year. That's a lot. So for women, these numbers are even more concerning. The research says that a woman dies every 80 seconds from heart disease. Wow. And it affects one in three women. That's one in three of our moms our sisters, our aunts, our best friends, our daughters. And I know it sounds crazy for me to say our daughters, but research is now showing that women in their 20s are being affected. Is that a new finding? It is. I just found that in an article that was published in January of 21. Okay, wow. So in their 20s. So it's no longer, you know, an older person's concern. This is for all of us. And To be honest, almost half of all women do not even know that this is our biggest risk, that this is our number one killer. We have no idea. So you have an idea of why that is? I don't. I don't know why. It it could be because we're not reading statistics on this. It could be, I mean, I didn't know until I started researching on it. I didn't know. It wasn't a factor for me. It wasn't a family history thing. It just wasn't something that I was looking into until I started doing the research. And it just amazes me that this information isn't common knowledge. And again, just because I've been reading it for the last six years, that's how I know this. Right. So I was talking to a woman, she was 39 years old and she experienced a cardiac event and women experience these things differently when it comes to having a heart attack, our symptoms are different than a man's symptoms. And typically, you know, when you think of you're having a heart attack, you're grabbing your chest yeah. and you have significant pain, right? Yeah. A lot of women don't experience that. Huh. Some women experience maybe some of what feels like heartburn or what reflux and 
then some pain starts getting in their neck and shoulders. Maybe they have a headache, some dizziness. We start getting back aches. So it's not very typical. That doesn't sound like a heart attack, does it? No, especially no. after the way it's portrayed in like media and the news and stuff. Exactly. You're supposed to have this pain in your chest. That's an elephant sitting there is how yeah. it's typically described. But a lot of women don't have those typical symptoms. And unfortunately, these symptoms go misdiagnosed and the women are suffering because of it. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's anyone's fault. I'm just saying that these are the symptoms and the experiences that women are explaining when they're talking to me about how their event took place. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the cardiac rehab process. And this is very typical process. It's not every single process. It's just what typically happens. So after a cardiac event, it's common to spend some time in the hospital. You do your healing. You work intensively with the professionals to get you moving, to make sure that you're, you know, progressing the way that you need to assessing your risk and just kind of getting you back to your level of functioning. So this is called phase one. So phase one is typically while you're still in the hospital. Phase two is where you get referred. So your doctor comes and refers you to phase two of cardiac rehab. And phase two is at a clinic, a hospital, usually attached to a hospital. Insurance covers 36 sessions. Some people need all 36. Some people don't. Um, this is very guided. It's monitored. They help you to understand your limits. You're attached to you know, machines so they can monitor your heart rate. They want to know that you understand how you can elevate and you know, what are the danger zones? What are the safe zones? They talk to you about education on what has happened. They provide education on nutrition, how to manage your stress, how to monitor yourself after phase two. So from my research, this is where women are most absent is in phase two. And also let me say, oh, go ahead. Did you have a question? Oh, no, I was just going to say like, just hearing the description of phase two, it seems kind of daunting for, I mean, for anyone, not just particularly women, but I can see where if women are typically not getting diagnosed accurately, and then let's say, fortunately, they are being diagnosed at one time, and then they're referred out. It makes sense to me that this whole process, which they were not expecting at all, can right. be very, maybe intense to, I guess for lack of a better word. Yeah, exactly. And imagine for a second, if you are referred and you decide to show up and there's all these men there. Yeah. Typically men go more than women do. So it's male dominated and women typically don't feel comfortable doing those things in front of other, you know, in front of men, especially when you're hooked up to monitors and, you know, there's some privacy issues that women can be concerned about. That's another issue that I'm finding too, with my research is that women are not comfortable in male dominated programs. So then moving on to phase three, phase three is on your own. So this is you monitoring yourself. This is you tracking your symptoms, take, making sure you're taking care of your meds, staying active. You're going to be told what to do. At this point, you should know where your target rate should be. 
Um, you're told to, you know, walk or exercise, do these different things. And this is where you're supposed to do that on your own. This phase, I don't have a lot of research on. There's, you know, it's not like they're checking back in saying, oh yeah, I'm doing it. That might be with their cardiologist, but it's not through the rehab center. So again, phase two is where the disconnect is. And maybe it's in phase one. And I've thought about that. Maybe in phase one is where the conversation needs to be had. But phase two is where women are choosing to leave their lives to chance. And this is where they're absent and they're just not enrolling or they're, they're withdrawing for whatever reason. Based on the research, there are a lot of reasons that women do list for not enrolling or, or withdrawing things like money. You know, I, I, I can't afford it. And maybe mm-hmm. those who are not on Medicare, it, it's not covered. I don't know. And things like transportation, whether it's distance to and from the location, we only have one car in the house or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Then there's scheduling. Scheduling could be around kids. It could be around their job. It could be around the availability of cardiac rehab. And especially today with COVID, they've limited the availability. So that's been an issue as well lately. So in phase two, we're finding through the research that depression, anxiety, and stress really starts to kick in. And they're saying that one in five cardiac patients are experiencing this. And that's completely understandable. Your whole life changes you know, there's a lot of new things happening. You don't know who you are anymore. Maybe this, this event has just truly changed you. How am I going to function as the person that I used to be? And, And what do I do from here? So I can completely see how depression, anxiety, and stress can kick in at this point. Yeah. And one in five at the surface might seem kind of low, but when you dig into it, that is 20%. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Unnecessary stress, depression, and anxiety. So can you imagine the things that normally run through a woman's mind at any given time? And now you're having to add this on top of all of that. It's just so much that's filling their mind. And I just don't understand why they're choosing not to go. Because of all of this research I became very passionate about this. I don't have someone who has, who has died from a cardiac event. So I don't have a firsthand account about it. However, these statistics just frightened me. They were very alarming. You know, again, the statistic about women dying within the first year of having a heart attack, as opposed to men, 50% of women will die within five years after their heart attack. That's a really big number and understanding and hearing that 80% of them is preventable. There's got to be something that we can do. There just has to be something. Yeah. There's seems to be a lot more work to be done. Agreed. And I know that there are a ton of initiatives out there, you know, through the American heart association, through million hearts, there's a ton of initiatives out there to do that. I just don't know where they're going. I know that they were, looking at increasing participation from 20% to 70% by the year 2022. And with COVID happening, I don't know where they are with that. So it'll be interesting to to watch for sure. Mm -hmm. 
so given all of this information and how passionate I became about this, I really wanted our first topic to launch our podcast to be talking about taking those first steps. And I feel that those first steps are so critical in anything. Before we started doing the podcast, I've seen a lot of quotes and things talking about, you know what, just start it. Even though you're not ready, just start it. And that really inspired me to, to get this moving. And I don't think that we would be at this place if we didn't just start get things moving. So I interviewed a woman the other day and she was in her late sixties and she had experienced a heart attack. Again, her symptoms were not typical and she did manage to make it to the hospital in time. When I was talking to her about the statistics and how not adhering to a cardiac rehab program could shorten her life, she decided right then and there that she was going to call the rehab center. After I had interviewed her, she called the rehab center and she actually set up an appointment. So in talking to her, I asked her specifically, what was it that was keeping you? And her response to me was, it was the distance. It was a 40 minute drive and I didn't want to make the drive. And I understand that. And I, I blatantly asked her, do you have kids at home? And she said, no. I asked her, do you work? And she said, no. Are you caring for anyone in your home? She said, no. So I asked, then what is keeping you from a 40 minute drive that could potentially save your life? And I really think that that was the empowering moment for her. And she said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And she did. She got back in and I was so proud of her taking those first steps and just allowing yourself to value your life more than the obstacles that are hindering you. Would you agree with me? Oh, definitely. I think the first steps to completing anything can be extraordinarily difficult. And I think people don't give themselves the credit whenever they're able to take those first steps. First steps are hard. Getting out of your comfort zone, they're scary. Yeah, especially when it comes to something as, as serious and important as how to respond in the face of a cardiac event. Exactly. Exactly. So you want to talk to us a little bit about some first steps? What'd you find? Yeah. So using that uh, article you sent me, oh, you're at least one of them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were a lot of good points that were made. The first one being about how are you shifting your, shifting your perspective? So let's say the overall goal is to complete, you know, a full phase two of the cardiac rehabilitation process. So the author of the article spoke about taking a step back and looking at the long-term effects of what it is you're trying to accomplish, how will it affect you, and how will it affect those immediately around you. So whether it's family members, uh, friends, if, if work is something that is quite important in your life, then maybe it would be worth it to consider how adhering to or starting a phase two of the cardiac rehab process could affect all those different factors. And what this does, it allows you to really understand and examine deeply what is the value of this to me. And I think people don't necessarily take the time out 
you know, whether if it's a goal as daunting as completing cardiac rehab, or if it's starting a new business venture or somewhere in between, taking the time out to step back and view over the long term, what is it that I'm trying to get out of this? What is the value of this? And the idea is understanding that value will help anyone commit or recommit to the process that is necessary. And then on the flip side, shifting your own attention to the short term, trying to identify what are those short term goals that are realistic. That's something that needs to be emphasized because you know, you can break down one long-term goal into however many short-term goals, but how many of those short-term goals are actually achievable reasonably and can be achieved in a reasonable amount of time. And when I say reasonable, that's vague on purpose because what's reasonable for one person will not be for another. Agreed. And so then for putting you on the spot a little bit, let's, let's paint a picture then. So let's paint a picture of what that would look like specific to women in cardiac rehab. So let's look at the long term, and then let's, let's give some examples of some short terms. Sure. So I would imagine the, the long-term view from a woman contemplating whether or not to start a cardiac rehab process, especially if they have access to the stats, (laughs) It's like, do you really want to be around longer than five years? Mm-hmm. Because I think it was that you mentioned 50% of women die after five years of the first cardiac event. Five years. Yeah. Do you want to extend your life beyond five years? It can't be as simple as that. But answering that question, just because it's simple, doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to do. Right. And what are the effects of staying alive longer than five years for yourself? You know, are there things that you want to accomplish? Are there things that are left to be done? And how will it affect your family, your friends, those that you're, that you have relationships with? Right. Because they will be affected in one way or the other. It's up to you whether or not to determine which direction that path goes in essence. I mean, I don't have grandkids yet. I mean, I will someday. (laughs) I don't have them yet, but I want to see them get married. I want to be at the wedding. I want to be, you know, the the crazy older grandma who's dancing (laughs) on the dance floor, you know, doing my thing, (laughs) embarrassing my kids at my grandkids' wedding. I want to be that person. And so why wouldn't I make that my priority? Why wouldn't I go through cardiac rehab? Because that's, what's important to me. A little bit of uncomfortable now is going to make me so much happier in the end. Yes. I think it would be also important to point out, like even thinking long-term might overwhelm some people. And when you're feeling that overwhelmed sensation experience, then that's when you shift your perspective towards the short-term. So that way you can get out of that feeling and at the same time, actively work towards your goal in very specific ways by achieving those sub goals, short-term goals that are realistic for you. So 
in this case, it yeah, might how be, that. it might be just picking up the phone and calling your nearest cardiac rehab clinic and just seeking more information about the process, maybe more information about what is expected of you throughout the whole phase two process and beyond. So that way you're operating on more information, which allows you ultimately to make smarter decisions. You're obtaining information that you did not have before. I mean, it's seemingly straightforward, but I understand picking up the phone, especially for something as intense and as serious as rehab, but it's ultimately going to be taking that first step and you know we can present you all the tips and strategies and information we cannot take those first steps for you exactly yeah we can offer as much support as we possibly can but you're right you can't do it for them another first step suggestion is support yes that's one of the things i'm also finding in the research when i'm interviewing women is they have a lot of support a lot of social support so pick up the phone and, and call a friend, phone a friend. That wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not funny at all. So you're going to find yeah, that okay. out. I, I'm not funny. So really pick up the phone, call a friend, because what I'm finding is that women have such a great social support when it comes to after having a cardiac event, you know, there's a lot of support there. If you would tell your best friend you know what, you need to get your butt off the couch and, you know, get over there. Why wouldn't you tell yourself that? Why wouldn't you be your own best friend when it comes to this? Mm -hmm. And so again, just pick up the phone, call a girlfriend or, you know, whoever your best friend is and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this right now. Can you help me out? And I promise you, she will do whatever she can to help get you where you need to be because we don't want to lose our best friends. We don't right. want to lose our moms. We don't want to lose our sisters to this. We don't, we want to do whatever it takes. And if you don't want to drive the 40 minutes to cardiac rehab, I'll drive you and I'll go with you and we can sing in the car and, you know, be silly and be best friends for the entire 40 minutes there. And the entire 40 minutes back. That's what we do for each other. And I think that brings up a good point, you know, choosing wisely who to share this, this experience with, who to share the successes and setbacks that are experienced, I think is something that's important to consider. Not everyone will have the capacity to support you through the whole journey. Agreed. And, you know, hopefully, if you have that best friend who will act very much in the same way that Mary would, <laughs> then, you know, that choice is easy for you to make. Sure. But for, for those who may not have the same situation, because like, what do you tell someone who doesn't have that person? Call right? me. You know what? Call me. If you don't have that person, call me. I will be that person for you. I promise. Just you call me. Message me, whatever you need to do, because I, again, I'm so passionate about this and you don't know me and that's okay. You're going to get to know me, but <laughs> that's okay. I will walk you through it. Ask my sisters. I will help you walk through it. I promise. And another benefit is that Mary has been extensively studying this for the past, <laughs> was it six years? You said six years. Yeah. 
So you'd have access to so much information just through Mary. And the CDC and the American Heart Association and Million Hearts and Go Red for Women and all of the, the stuff. It's out there. You just have to look for it. But yeah, I'm here. I'm a great resource. Yes. Speaking of resources. Oh, Something else to consider when it comes to taking first steps or continuing steps is how to handle setbacks and failure. Do you personally have the resources, meaning the coping skills or the mental resilience to effectively handle the setbacks, the mistakes, as well as all the accomplishments that, co- that go along with a process as long and difficult as cardiac rehab can be? There's going to be setbacks. There's yes. going to be obstacles. Yes. You just have to anticipate them. Absolutely. So yeah, what'd you find out? Well, I think it's also important to point out not all of these setbacks and obstacles are going to be expected too. Okay. And one good way of you know, as humans, we are social creatures. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where you bring in that support person. Maybe you just need to talk it out and see what went wrong. What are you doing that's already effective? And what can you do to close the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be? You know, at the end of the next session, or at the end of the phase two process altogether. I think it's important to consider those things because the potential to be better is always there. Whether or not people realize it is another thing. And whether or not people take the time to reflect on what is it that they're doing that is allowing them to get better or what are they doing that is hindering them from getting better? I keep saying there's simple ideas and simple concepts that anyone could realistically do, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Right. Especially to do on a consistent basis. I think I'll end by saying, you know, applying this type of reflection or hitting up whoever that support system is for you trying to, you know, cope, or deal with setbacks, all those things are going to be hard initially. But as any person in that situation continually gets more reps in, gets more experience in these types of strategies, and realistic things that anyone can do become easier over time. And as it becomes easier, you're able to dedicate more energy towards that ultimate end goal, whatever that is for any specific person. I'm trying to say is the more you have practice, the easier it gets. That idea applies here too and applies in many other aspects of our lives and many other things that we're trying to pursue or achieve, complete, what have you. But it's those first steps that can be tricky. And that's where that perspective taking can come in. Even if it's difficult, those first steps have to be taken. I agree. 
even as uncomfortable as it is, or as scary as it is, those first steps are very important. They're very important. And to add to that just a little bit, ask questions, ask questions so that you do have those realistic expectations Mm -hmm. when you're setting up your shorter term goals, because that is so important to know what to expect. And, you know, your words matter and they're, they're very powerful. They're a lot more powerful than you give them credit for. And we're actually going to talk about that in our next episode about how our thoughts, emotions, they matter and understanding the impact that they have on our actions is, is really going to help move you forward to where you want to go. Thanks, Diego. I appreciate you finding the research on all of that. Well, thank you for uh, sending that article. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime. So to wrap up our first episode, we want to say thank you so much for being here and for supporting us. Hopefully you heard something today that you can use to elevate you. So if you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at AZ Sports Psych and to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram as well at Elevate You Pod. We would love your feedback, questions, comments. Uh, if you're not interested in posting them on Instagram, you can send us an email, elevateyou at azsportspsych.com. And if you're okay with us reading your questions or comments in future podcasts, please provide consent in your email, letting us know, you know, what, if we can use your name or not. And if you just rather prefer to be anonymous, that's fine too. We are working on a Facebook page. We don't have one of those just yet. I know some of you have mentioned that you prefer Facebook over Instagram. No worries. We are working on it. It's just the two of us and uh, we haven't had the opportunity to to go around. (laughs) We haven't hired a social media person yet, but um, again, next week or our next episode, we are going to talk about how our thoughts matter. Please share our information with friends and family. So even if our content is not for you, someone that you know may benefit from it and may be able to help someone out. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time. Bye. See ya. 